Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a fantastic episode that we have here today with our good pal, might I say, Mr. Tony Spagnolo. If you uh, are involved in any way, shape, or form in the real estate industry and you live anywhere near or around the Lower Mainland, you probably know Mr. Tony Spags. He has been in the real estate space for I think 30 plus years this year practicing law has a fantastic team and really has a good grasp on what's happening in the market at any given time from a legal perspective and just real estate as a whole. Now we had Tony up on the show during COVID to talk to us about everything that was going on then. We figured it was a good time to have him back to talk about what's going on now. So again, Tony joined us today and you're going to love this episode. There's just so much value from what Tony has to say, all of his insight and information. And I certainly would love to hear your feedback. So if you're loving the episodes and you're enjoying the show, please do us one favor. If you're on iTunes or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. That would be amazing. And if you do so, screenshot it, send it over to us and we'll send you a delicious uh, a, a coffee from our own Thrive Coffee and Mug uh, to thank you for your efforts in giving us that review. Oh, and by the way, if you're interested in finding more about working with us at Thrive Mortgage Co., make sure to drop us a line on the website at thrivemortgage.ca or find us on Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. Enjoy the episode with Tony, and we'll see you on the other side. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. You know, it's been better part of, uh, like I, I mentioned, over a year since we, we lasted the podcast. And at that time, it was virtual. So it's nice to have you in person. Thank you. For- Beautiful office you guys have here. It's really, it's a really nice you. job. Come together. We yeah. need, a, we need a, a, a designer's touch. We'll call it designer's touch. I here, don't but- think so. No? <laughs> I think you're shorting yourself. No, this is beautiful. All right. We'll take it. Yeah. Well, uh, nonetheless, in that time, I'd say a lot's happened. It's been, uh, uh, it, uh, what, a two-year cycle? We usually call it like uh, seasonal cycles in real estate. And yeah, so it's sure. A, Two years, a roller coaster ride up, and now we're just on the downturn here on on the back end, and things have really um, changed. So it's interesting to uh, take a pause and look at now where we are a year and a half, two years later, and what's changed in your world from a legal perspective. Well, so, I mean, apart from the the rules and the assignments and things like that that we're going to talk about, the the uh, the big thing. Well, the the pace, obviously, for the last couple of years that we've been running flat out, uh, yeah. completely full. Um, and now it's tapering down to a more manageable level. Uh, so the volume that we're noticing is starting to change. Yeah. Um, uh, we haven't noticed it in the office yet, but we're hearing that from the brokers and the realtors yeah. that we work with. Uh, there's a lot of talk right now. We're doing a, still doing a lot of meetings via Zoom. If clients have a concern about COVID, there's talk of that coming to an end. Prior to COVID, prior to the spring of 2020, we were not allowed to witness a signature over video. Now we can, but that will likely come to an end and some law firms are not doing it at all anymore. It's kind of a, a, just had an email this morning from a group of real estate lawyers that uh, we chat with and there's a lot of talk about that. Um, But I mean, the one thing that's constant is change. There's always something different happening, whether it's the rules about uh, COVID or remote signing or assignments or foreign buyers or whatever. There's just always something coming up. So the key is to, for us is to stay on top of it with our monthly lawyer meetings that we have and staff training and all that stuff because there's just always something happening. Did mm-hmm. you run into issues with the virtual signings? Like what type of issues did you run into? Because it's it's it sucks to hear that, that might be going away because there's a lot of benefit there, right? Someone's on vacation or what have you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the when it first started, we spent days, weeks trying to figure out how to make it work. It was just all so new. It was yeah. nothing we ever did before. Uh, and then we kind of got into the groove. But now it's being taken advantage of. The, the challenge we have in this province is the government guarantees title. They guarantee that if you look at that title search, it's accurate. So they're very worried about fraud. Right. And with video signings, the chances of fraud are greater. Yeah. Uh, there's just a greater risk unless you see someone face to face and you see their ID. And, yeah. You know, that's a lot more of an assurance. So the government's concerned about that. So I can see why they would take it away. Um, there are some limited exceptions to that, but uh, yeah. there were definitely challenges in the beginning. With, with COVID, there's all kinds of challenges everywhere. I mean, yeah. getting staff to work from home... Uh, uh, and I, I hope, I don't, I'm not sure if my staff watch this or not, but um, we had real challenges getting them out of the office. So much so that I think oh, it was a Tuesday morning. We just, we literally, well, we didn't lock the door. We said, you're not coming in tomorrow. We got a computer person coming to your house. We're bringing you a laptop, a monitor, a mouse, a keyboard. We're going to set it up at your place and you can work remotely. And until that point, my staff never thought they could work from home. They thought the file, even though we have electronic files, 80% anyway, they thought they had to be in the office and, 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 and take care of it at the office. Well, that was two and a half years ago when COVID started. Now I won't get them back. You know, it's just mm. a complete turn of events. Yep. Yeah. So I think we're going to be a better firm post COVID. And I think a lot of people will be better after yeah. COVID. My staff don't need to drive in every morning. Mm -hmm. They're, they're working and answering the phone and dealing with emails remotely. Yeah. And we couldn't have convinced them to do that but for COVID. So right. I think that's, there's some positive things that come out of this as well. Yeah. I mean, that makes me think about obviously change as a whole. You mentioned it's per, perhaps the government and some law firms that are, are not interested in the, the digital signing. And I, I can see it from your perspective. You've already educated us on the fact that the digital signing can cause challenges related to fraud. And obviously if there's fraud, then you guys are the ones who are going to, you know, foot the bill, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So, but the flip side to that, as Derek mentioned, is the massive convenience factor. Um, on, in our business, we are 100% remote. Uh, we were, we were mostly remote, uh, before signing about 75% before COVID, but went all in and it's certainly transformed our business to the point that a lot of clients that we've worked with have done multiple transactions with us in the last couple of years and expect now a digital signing situation. And to Derek's point, many of them work remotely themselves now. So they've relocated to remote situations or just are all over the place and that's changed. Um, so again, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but do you think that is a situation where in fact the digital signing is 100% gone forever? Or do you think there's going to be some form of adaptation and, and certain firms will find a way to work within those? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the best solution is is some kind of hybrid. Right. Where there is the ability for people, there just needs to be extra safeguards in place yep. for uh, fraud protection. Exception-based, right? Like Exception-based, not person, just, you yeah, know, my kids sure. are busy. Yeah, I got yeah, a yeah. soccer practice totally. at 7. Can I see yeah. you at 6.30? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a great point. Yeah, exception-based. Right. But, you know, if someone just doesn't want to come in, well, wait a sec. You know, we got some issues here. You need to come in, show us your ID, know your client, all that kind of stuff. So okay. I like yeah. that term, yeah. exceptions-based. So uh, following on changes in the last couple of years, everyone, uh, we don't want to spend too much time talking about inflation, but it's real and it's happened and the cost of everything is rising, including uh, expenses related to legal transactions, uh, which is interesting from my perspective, uh, legal fees in, in doing this now over 10 years, believe it or not, uh, legal fees hadn't changed much from the beginning until, well, over the last 10 years, up until the last five where we've seen some uh, updates. Now you did a good job when there was a price change of articulating that to the team and, and letting us understand specifically why, but what are some of the challenges cost-wise that you've seen as a, a, you know, a leader of a, a law firm 
that's impacted your clients that they should be prepared for going forward? Like how should clients be preparing better? Uh, well, really, um, no, that's a good question. Our biggest costs are staff. Yep. Uh, and our biggest challenge is staff. Right. I mean, I've got a great, I got people that have been with me for 25, 30 years and, and we got a great team at the office and we pump out a lot of volume, but we need more staff. Right. And I dare you to name an industry that doesn't have that problem, mm -hmm. uh, construction and, and under whatever it is, everybody needs more staff. Yeah. And so the, the biggest thing for us is notice from the client, letting, letting us know that you've got a deal coming because we're forever getting phone calls. You know, I got a deal closing in a week. Yeah. Uh, can you help us? We can't, we're, we're too busy. So staffing is an issue, both mm -hmm. uh, the cost of staffing and, and finding staffing. We, uh, like a lot of other uh, businesses, we rely on technology. Uh, our technology fee was $30 a file and until about a year ago, I think it was, or a year and a half ago, and then we got four days notice from our supplier that it was going to 200, from $30 to 200 with four days notice. Mm. Uh, so that, that you know, we can't absorb that. That gets passed on to the consumer. So the biggest thing for the client is to, well, to listen to the brokers who are doing a great job and preparing them, um, and then getting in touch with the law firm early and saying, okay, what am I looking at here? What, how do ta property taxes work? How does this work? How does that work? What's the property transfer tax? Is there GST? What are legal fees? What's included? What's not included? Um, and, and just spend as much time as they can. This is a big deal. I mean, yeah. people are buying a house. This is a multi hundred thousand hundreds of thousands of dollars if not millions take your time and get you know get prepared and do as much research as you can surprises in a real estate transaction are usually not good and we've learned the hard way multiple times and we put a lot of emphasis on like as soon as there's an approval and as soon as there's an accepted offer call your lawyer call your notary figure everything out right because mm -hmm. five grand at the end of the day could make it or break it for someone Right, if they haven't accounted for the property tax adjustment or what have you, so mm -hmm. you're bang on. Those conversations need to happen early in the process. Absolutely. So, with the surprise element in mind, uh, I'd love to hear about some potential surprises that you've dealt with over the last maybe year. Anything that stands out? Anything notable that you can think of? I know we're putting you on the spot a little bit, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's 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 all all kinds of different things, and the fact that there are surprises means you can't plan for them. Sure. I mean, the latest thing is people's people, and we're going to talk about this later. Is is buyers having second thoughts mm. and wanting to walk from their deposit. That's a yeah. heck of a surprise. Uh, and we have a situation right now where there's a, a, a purchase and sale and a there's like a domino. Yeah. We got four or five deals on the go. Yeah. And the second buyer is trying to get out of their transaction. So that second seller has a purchase. Yeah. That's yeah. on the third deal. Now every one of those deals down the line is, yeah. is, on the hook right now, so to speak. Well, let's, let's unpack that now then. Let's just sure. jump into it. We can circle back into some surprises, uh, to illustrate that to our listener, specifically what Tony's referring to here is situations where someone has entered a contract, purchase and sale. They're looking to buy a property. Basically they left a deposit of fifty, hundred thousand dollars, whatever that is. And now we're having regrets because you're seeing the housing market change, or you're concerned about rising interest rates and how that affects you. Or, you know, maybe the cost of living has gone up, but we've seen on our end and heard, you know, some of those concerns, although thank Thankfully, most of our clients seem pretty prepared, so they're not having those issue, issues, and we haven't dealt with that. But specifically in those circumstances, what I've heard from people is, if I don't like the home and it's dropped in value 150 grand or 200 grand, is I'm just going to walk away. They can have my money, they can have my deposit. Is that something that a buyer could just do? No. Okay. No. So, so well, 
they can certainly walk away mm -hmm. and they will lose their deposit. In that situation, the seller has a duty to mitigate their damages. So the seller has a duty to relist the property, get it back on MLS, get the best offer they can and proceed with the sale. When that's all done, they, they look to what their damages are. So let's use some numbers. There's a million dollar purchase, a hundred thousand dollar deposit. The seller upon repudiation relists the property and they sell it for over a million dollars. They got lucky. They got more money. The buyer loses their deposit. Okay. You always lose the deposit, but if the seller sells for much less, they can go after the buyer for any shortfall. So let's say that seller only sells it for 800,000 and in this domino thing that I was talking about earlier, they lose the other house and they're suffering damages from that. They lost their deposit on that deal. The buyer could be on the hook. So the buyer would be on the hook, generally speaking, for any damages suffered by the seller if the buyer kills the deal after subject removal. So we're talking loss of deposit. We're talking uh, potential uh, damages if the house sells for less than what they were going to sell for. Potential damages if the seller loses their deposit on their purchase or anything down the line. So it could be much more than just the initial deposit. Now, some buyers, you know, if they bought in a holding company and it's just a shell company, well, okay, go ahead, take the company. But most residential deals are mom and pop. It's yeah. Tony buying from Derek and, you know, there's some assets and whatever it is. So, yeah, that's not something a buyer should just take lightly and they should speak to a lawyer about that before they have any thoughts at all about walking away from the transaction. Can you explain the process for the getting the deposit out? Because that it doesn't immediately go to the seller, correct? No. There's a process that yeah, you have to run uh, through. Most deposits are held in trust by the real estate company as a stakeholder and a stake, stakeholder is the key term there. What that means is they can only release that deposit with the permission of both and consent of both the seller and the buyer. So now then the buyer in this example has got $100,000 and they're not going to agree to just releasing the deposit without some kind of release, most likely. Now there's a negotiation going on. There's a haggle. There's a Monty Python. You got, you got a haggle, yeah. right? So they say, okay, well, we'll give you the 100 but give us a release for anything else. Or you know what? You sold it for over a million using my earlier numbers. You didn't suffer that much. How about we split it 75-25? And the seller has, now you're negotiating it. If the seller doesn't want to accept any kind of negotiation, they have to hire a lawyer and go to court for, a, for an order. And odds are it's a pretty straightforward order assuming the buyer is in default and the contract's valid and there's no loopholes. Um, but there's always some negotiation going on. So around. assuming um, that happens and someone is in a position where they do want to sell for damages, uh, how long is that process in your experience? Yeah. At least just a standard situation. It, it could be as short as a few weeks. Uh, the, the buyer says, look, I can't close. Interest rates have gone up. You know, my wife got transferred to Kelowna. We just found out we're pregnant. The seller has some empathy towards the buyer. They weren't being just yeah. jerk, jerks about it. Yeah. You know what? I get it. Life gets in the way. How about 75, 25 or whatever the, they settle at. They both sign a release. They give it to the real estate company. The deposit's released. Yeah. It could be quick. It could be several months if everyone lawyers up but an actual lawsuit for damages that can take and at the end of the day if you're going after someone for damages but they don't physically have the cash you're kind of hitting a wall right well you can't get blood from a stone yeah exactly mm -hmm. so the first step i think in any kind of litigation is does the buyer yeah have anything worth pursuing yeah mm -hmm. and if like i talked about the shell company yeah if, if that is the situation well there's no point pursuing the buyer you might get a judgment but good luck enforcing it 
Is there a process where you can actually figure out if the buyers have assets or it's kind of up in the air? Well, you know, you, you kind of, you might do some Google searches. You yeah. can search the land title office is a public registry. All this talk about property. privacy. So yeah. you can search the LTSA records for names or, or, or things, other things like that. Uh, I'm not sure if you can search for motor vehicles as if there's a motor vehicle registry. Uh, I'm sure there's yeah. some ways yeah. to find out uh, yeah. a bit about it anyway. Uh, I mean, we were talking about this exact same topic at the beginning of COVID because remember, everyone, no one knew what was going to happen, right? And we yeah. thought the market was going to tank and there was people that had just bought and they were literally, we were having the exact same conversations and then now look at what well, happened, right? The market appreciated 50%. Now it's come down 15, 20 and people are losing their minds, right? Yeah. Well, Alex, you know, we started off by talking about what's changed in a couple of years. I yeah. remember when COVID hit, I walked into my accountant's office and said, we got to do some planning here. We got to plan for a 20, 40 and 60% drop in value and yeah. volume, not yeah. value. Okay, how are we going to, because we only do real estate. That's our bread and butter. We live off the real estate market. So how are we going to survive? And it's completely who, who wrong. So people say, what do you think is going to happen? Don't ask me. I don't have a clue. <laughs> I thought COVID was going to kill us. Yeah. It, you know, it's uh, just taken did. off. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's a good <laughs> indication as to where people or where people's minds should be right now. You know, listening to this is like we saw a global pandemic and it didn't even wipe out the market for more than a few months mm -hmm. and roar back. And now we're seeing a, well, I wouldn't say yet, but the potential signs of a global recession, uh, well, chances are good that although we don't know how long it lasts, it's not going to quote unquote wipe out the real estate market either. It just yeah. will put a temporary pause on things. So uh, for those folks, you know, thinking about walking away from the deposit, my, my recommendation just based on history alone, and, and Tony, you've had a lot more years in real estate space is that- Gray hairs for you. There you go. There you go. I like to call it experience, <laughs> but uh, um, nonetheless uh, is don't walk away because A, it's not worth your, your energy and, and B, time goes on, you'll earn your money back and more. Uh, from that investment. And yeah. we've seen that year over year over year. Specifically, I, I do recall situations in 2015 to 2017 uh, where the West Vancouver market was uh, was getting out of control. And mm -hmm. in 2019, we saw valuations of homes between eight to 10 million previously go down to four to six million. Now that's a big drop, everything is relative. Uh, but if those folks hung on for two more years, you yeah. know, they're back in back in the black very well yeah. at this point right now, right? A few yeah. years later. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have, I started in 1990, it's been 32 years. So I've lived, I think 97 when Hong Kong was being taken over by China was the first kind of shock wave. And then we had the dot-com crisis was at 2000. And then we had the financial crisis of 08. And then we had COVID of 2020. Yeah. And I wish I bought everything back then. Mm. And and I have two, I have three kids. Mm. Uh, the boys are 29, 27, and they're kind of starting to look about into real estate and where should they buy and what kind of product they're going to look for and all that stuff. And and the advice is, look, if if you're in it for the long haul and you buy the right property, you're, you're not going to lose in the city, 100%. In, in this region. It's just the way it is. I mean, we've got mm. the World Cup coming. We may have Olympics. People mm. want to live here. Yeah. Uh, I, I had dinner with a, a couple from India the other night. They came here 14 years ago to give their family a better place to live. And I said, why Canada and why Vancouver? So he said, where else are you going to go? Mm. Yeah. Or you're not going to go to the States yeah. right now. Yeah. You're not going to go anywhere else in Europe uh, with all this, the wars and all the other stuff. So Canada is a safe haven. And if you're going to come to Canada, it's Toronto and Vancouver, little Calgary, maybe little Montreal. We had 100,000 people moved to BC last year. They got to live somewhere. Yeah. It might be a basement suite to start, but some of them are going to buy. Yeah. Some are going to move on. So if you're, if you're buying smart and you're buying for the long haul, you don't have to buy today perhaps in this market, but if the right one comes up, 
take a good look at it because in five years, I I think it's three to five years. If it's affordable and it's a marketable property, you can't go wrong. I agree. I agree. And that's the thing with rates, right? Everyone panics about interest rates right now, but like, look at the discount discounts you're getting on a home. So regardless of what your rate says, if the payment's affordable, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it has to be about in this market because rates will come back and property values will come back, but the property values coming back is going to be way more advantageous than the rate coming down. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Which which kind of leads me to a thought here because we talked about the cost of legal fees and expenses associated with that going up, just like everything, the cost of real estate. Lawyers um, have to eat too, Alex. Come on. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but we we see the cost of uh, obviously everything changing or increasing. And, and, you know, one of those considerations is that folks coming to the country and folks buying their first home don't have comparisons. And so uh, for those reasons, they're going to continue to buy. And as we mentioned, you know, eventually everybody will ju- jump back in the pond. So let's let's uh, transition that into those people buying their first homes and a very mm-hmm. hot trend is and has been for years is pre-sales mm-hmm. and purchasing pop- properties brand new off developers. Uh, just like every single other thing that we've seen in the past year, it was a very hot commodity for the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, however, recently you'd sent out an email uh, letting us know about some clauses written into the assignment contracts. Now, I've yeah. bought a pre-sale before and so I've read through and seen certain clauses that perhaps I didn't see when I first bought the property. It wasn't until later that I recognized them and there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But there, absolutely, um, yeah. there's some that maybe I'd let you speak on that people should really open their eyes to here. Yeah, the thing to remember with with uh, pre sales is that it's not a standard form contract to purchase and sale. I mean, the MLS system, the, uh, the Canadian Bar Association, the real estate boards have all created these standard contracts that most realtors use on a resale property. But when it's a new uh, construction, odds are it's written by the developer's lawyer for the benefit of the developer. So you really need to pay attention to that. You can't just say this is a standard contract. And we see clauses that come up that aren't normal. We mentioned stakeholder uh, and that the real estate company holds it. Oftentimes in a developer's contract, it's held by the developer's lawyer. The deposit's held by the developer's lawyer, not as a stakeholder. So the moment there's a breach, that deposit's released to the developer. So just be aware of that. Um, Assignments are a big deal with pre-sale contracts. Assignments in a standard form contract are not allowed without their permission. That's consistent, but the developer can charge a fee. And oftentimes it's a percentage of the sale price. It's not just a $250 admin fee. It's one or 2% of the deal. Oftentimes it's not even allowed. Let's say that a developer has a four phase project coming up and they're marketing phase one. They don't want those units being uh, assigned because they want the, the future buyers to buy in phase two. So they don't even allow assignments until the last phase is being done and they've sold out and at that point they don't care. So you really need to pay attention to the assignment clause. GST is another one. The big thing that came up, and it's the first time I've seen this, is about three weeks ago it came across my desk where there's a price escalation clause. And and how how it was worded was the purchase price was fixed. But if the, I think it's the, construction housing price index increased by a certain amount, the price would also increase by that amount. So I think the number was 4%. So if this price index, which I never heard of until this clause came out, if if the price index went up by 7%, in the contract it said anything over 4 would be an increase to the purchase price. So the purchase price would be increased by 3%. Hmm. In that in that example, first time I've ever seen it. I've only seen it once. We sent it out to our database, and although a few realtors said they have seen something like that before, they could never tell me what project it was in or where they saw it. So I only know of one project in Maple Ridge that has it. 
Mm. I've since spoken to a number of develop other developer lawyers, and I've spoken to a few developers who I know personally, and and most of them are not thinking of doing something like that, just for the political ramifications. Developers already have a bit of a reputation, so most will likely not follow it. But construction costs are soaring, and so maybe a few will. I don't know. But the important thing in a pre-sale, well, the most important thing is who's a developer. Have they done it before? Yeah. Can they withstand to slow down? Yeah. Are they in it for the long haul? I mean, if you're buying a, a product from someone who's doing their first deal versus you're buying from, what was that, Polygon, Adira, Concert, Con I could yeah. rattle off 15, 20 Anthem. I, oh, sorry for the developers I never mentioned. Um, they, they've got a rep and they've got staying power and they're building their brand and they're going to be around in 10, 15 years. A lot more, and there's, you probably might pay a bit more for that brand. But you know that in downtimes, they're going to finish. We've seen in projects, uh, I forget the last one, probably five, six years ago, where the, the developer took so long getting through City Hall. They pre-sold the, the project. Then it took so long getting permits that by the time they were ready to go, the project wasn't feasible. Uh, costs had gone up so much and yeah. the revenue hadn't and they just walked away from the deal. They returned all the deposits. And that's fine that the buyers got their deposits back. But they missed out on other opportunities to buy another project. And the appreciation over it, that time. Exactly. Whatever else. Exactly. Yeah. There wasn't a developer I heard of before and I haven't heard of them since. So that that's important. So you really need to pay attention to who the developer is and you really need to pay attention to the details of that pre-sale contract. And that's where a good realtor will come in handy. Yeah, those you are good need, points. Yeah, you need that realtor on your side and someone who's done a resale before and who knows their stuff and who yeah. knows the market, like like any other situation. Well, that's one thing that we tell buyers all the time who are considering pre-sales is, uh, is as much as you walk into the sales center, and there are some great people at the sales center. I know some good ones that, that definitely have the buyer's interest. But just like a great person at a bank, they are still biased, regardless of the situation. And they might tell you the details, but they're not going to tell you in a way that's going to completely protect you because they just still want you to purchase that property at the end of the day. Again, that's not to discredit those those folks at the sales center. And mm -hmm. so to your point, representation is massive. And mm -hmm. uh, from a buyer's perspective, listening to this, you might not know this, you don't pay the buyer's agent, the developer will pay your real estate agent to write the contract and confirm and go through that. And in my experience, a good uh, buyer's agent is someone that is keeping tabs on the project, even yeah. if it's a, if once a year, if it's a five years out, even if it's once a year, you know, or every six months, just checking in and is available and ready close to closing. Because if there's anything that we've learned, and I know you know this too, uh, and Tony for that matter, is that what happens is you wait three or four years or two years in some situations, and then everything is a mad rush at the finish line because they're they're trying to just get everything complete. They're trying to get the permits in place. And from a financing perspective, you need to get appraisal. And then Tony, you got to get right. involved. And then the last thing you know, you've got to figure out tax implications and all that yep. kind of fun stuff. So representation is, is a great way to kind of coordinate together. As long as, as you're absolutely right and, and not to beat a dumb no, horse okay. here, it's got to be good. Like I know realtors who will say, look, use my name. The developer gives me a commission. I'll give you 25%. They don't right. even know where the project is. Sure. Yeah. They don't know if it's a one bedroom or two bedroom. Yeah. They're just looking for that easy commission. And that developers hate that. Yeah. And, and I got to say, I think most of us aren't fans of that either. They're going to get representation. Do the job. 
do the job. Yeah. yeah. And, and, My and, feedback there would be, and and even a real estate agent listening to this, I'm okay to say this, is is talk to someone in the industry like Derek or I or yourself, for that matter, for a recommendation, do your research, do your due diligence. Make Absolutely. sure it's somebody that's doing the job. And, yeah. and you're right, because I've heard of, unfortunately, uh, uh, real estate agents and some big names that do that. And that's how they mm -hmm. do so well, is they offer this kind of kickback and incentive. Yeah. I would say that I don't know anyone personally that we work with from that matter, but mm. do your due diligence, just like anything else in life, right? I, if it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. We used to uh, we used to be in Port Moody, and the developer there was was selling a high rise, and people were camped out a couple of days ahead. Yeah. And there's a, a realtor in the morning of the opening walking around, handing out donuts, and saying, "Here, just hand my card, hand my card, hand my card." Did nothing, yeah. and, and that's just infuriating. Yeah. That's not professionalism. Yeah. So the realtors that you work with, yeah. um, you know, they they know their stuff. That's yeah. who you want to use. The good, the good news is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Social media, which uh, you may not know this, but uh, there is a social media a platform called TikTok, and <laughs> you've heard of it. Um, yeah, my kids tell me about it. <laughs> I feel like the primary goal of TikTok is for people to contact uh, to to comment negatively about everything to do with real estate. I post one <laughs> video and I get eighty comments about realtors. I'm like, I'm not a realtor, but uh, nonetheless, my point is, I, I think for for a hundred realtors, ninety nine are good, and you got one one bad apple. Yeah, but make, but make yeah, sure yeah. you get the the top ten. Just talk to us about yeah. that. So, uh, from an assignment perspective, obviously, those are those are key issues that that we've seen and mm -hmm. glad to hear about that. Um, I, I think on my side, the only other note about the assignment fee that I see come out a lot is just the, the who's paying what on GST yeah. and what that looks like. And I don't know if I want to get into the ins and outs of who pays what and so forth, but I guess what's your simple advice for circumstances where someone is buying an assignment? Yeah. So that, this has changed, uh, I'll say six, eight weeks ago, uh, um, Trudeau came out with some uh, budget changes and effective, I believe it was May 23rd, Every assignment is now subject to GST. Mm. Before that, it was a question of intent and is the right. seller a builder or are they not? And GST is a whole different topic uh, when it comes to resales and new mm. construction. But on an assignment, GST is payable. So I, I buy from a developer, I buy a place for a million bucks and on top of the million, I got to pay 50,000 in GST. Now I flip it to you for a $100,000 lift. So it's 1.1. You're going to pay me the 100,000 plus 5%. And then you're going to pay the developer the million bucks plus the 50,000 for GST. So you're paying the 55,000. Right. The developer takes 50 of it. I take 50. I send it to Ottawa. Unless I have any input tax credits, which I probably wouldn't in that situation. Right. Uh, so the full GST is paid a portion, to, most of it to the developer. And the rest would be on the lift. Now, if there is no lift... So I'm just dying to get out of this deal. Mm. Market's turning. I'm panicking. I'm going to sell to you for a buck. Uh, technically, there's five cents on the buck, but there'd be no GST on that. But you're still going to pay GST to the builder on the right. on the million dollars. So that's always being paid. Yeah. So and that's all the time now. That started some. I think it was May 23rd. Mm. Um, before that, it was. There's always a question: Is GST payable? Is it not? And we got into it. Had to discuss the intent of the seller and their mm. motivation. Why are they? Why are they? So owner occupied, renter, whatever. Everybody now, just pays the GST, yeah. black white on an assignment. Yep. Yes, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Well, that that definitely should make uh, some folks who are thinking about bypassing those rules think twice. And mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see if the uh, the assignment market takes a little bit of a little bit of a I don't I wouldn't say um, a hit per se, but pause. A pause. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And and perhaps those folks who buy the assignments might think about it more in detail and it brings the resale market back up from mm -hmm. that perspective. Interesting. I think pre-sales in general, especially if they're relatively quick closing. I was having a conversation with a lady yesterday and it's this development's closing in about a year. 
and her whole fear was like, where's the market going to be in a year? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be down further? I don't know what rate I'm getting, right? So there's a lot up in the air. There's definitely more risk than buying resale when you're closing in two months because you know the value, you know your rate, you know your payment, right? Yeah. And we have no idea where this market's going, unfortunately. Yeah. So that's something to consider if you're buying something, closing probably in the next 12 to 18 months, yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of our clients are mortgage investment corps or private yeah. lenders, and they're flooded with people that can't yeah. get financing yeah. on a new construction that's going to close in 60 yeah. days. They yeah. never got a pre-approval, and a pre-approval isn't really a pre-approval. Uh, the appraisals are down, yeah. and and now they need money to close. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's a, a flood of those in the market right well, that's now. That's a good good thing we know a lot of those folks, right? We can help all those go. clients. Absolutely. Uh, Tony, I, I think that's, uh, we got to put a cap on it because that's a lot of good information. If we give them everything, they're never going to come back to us, right? <laughs> so um, so uh, clients and real estate agents alike definitely got to reach out to, to Mr. Tony uh, and uh, his team. Uh, you've got how many lawyers right now? Uh, there's eight or nine lawyers, about 40 staff in total. Yeah. 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 And, and real estate is 99% of what we do. We, yeah. we, we do a lot of volume. It's kind of our specialty. Yeah. It's our niche. It's pretty key. Yeah, it's, it's worked out pretty good. Awesome. We're yeah. happy with you too. So, Awesome. Thank All you. Right. All right. Much okay, appreciated. Guys. Yeah, thank you. All right.